electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli, a post nine of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Big day for macro as Powell and other central bankers speak in Portugal on a panel moderated by our own Sarah Eisen. Meantime, the president speaks on economics a day after the best day for the economic surprise index since February. Our roadmap begins with chip stocks, though, under pressure. Reports of a potential new U.S. ban on AI chip exports to China. Plus, Microsoft versus the FTC, or the other way around, continues today. Satya Nadella, Microsoft CEO, Bobby Kotick, Activision CEO, will both testify in court today. Again, as the FTC tries to block that merger. And as recession risks linger, President Biden is looking to claim credit for the post-pandemic economic recovery in a so-called major economic speech. That'll be later today. Let's begin, though, with NVIDIA and other chip makers falling in the pre-market. According to the Journal today, the Biden administration is considering some new restrictions on exports of AI chips to China. The Commerce Department would put the curbs into effect as soon as early July. And this comes amid concerns that China could use those chips for weapons development, hacking, and this budding story, Mike, about a black market uh, for the chips where they, they can't get them legitimately, but uh, players are willing to pay a lot more to get them on the secondhand market. Yeah, the street trying to run the numbers in terms of potential impact on NVIDIA, varying, saying 10 to 15 percent of revenue might you know, fall under this category. Details not determined. We don't know what uh, kinds of products are going to be included. To me, uh, the, the main immediate takeaway is that semis have been a leading sector. NVIDIA has been the absolute you know, vehicle for enthusiasm over AI. That's been the thing that's gotten the market to this point in terms of the market cap weighted indexes. It was already in somewhat pullback mode, trying to cool off, massively overbought. It's like 22 times forward sales. We can all talk about what the uh, wild valuations are at a trillion dollar market cap. So this is another excuse uh, on a day that Micron's going to be reporting to say, uh, what, we, what have we already, you know, priced in to this area? And um, that's the challenge at the open after yesterday's, you know, decent rally and very broad one um, in terms of the the overall market and the Nasdaq included. Uh, Meantime, keeping our eye on not just the recovery that isn't happening in China, but some fresh data this morning on industrial profits there running at a down 18.8 on an annual basis, uh, uh, youth unemployment up uh, to 20 percent plus. Uh, so they've got challenges beyond yeah. uh, export curbs. And it's been the really the part of the global bullish story on uh, economically that coming into this year has just simply been absent. And so I think almost in a sense, the market has uh, tried to move beyond it and started looking toward, OK, what is it going to mean for China stimulus and how is that going to recharge things? So for now, it hasn't necessarily uh, had much of a bite in terms of the overall uh, case here because U.S. numbers continue to hold up OK. People are figuring, okay, it looks like kind of shallow recession in Europe. We've gotten these before. So um, not great, not a great situation. But I think to me it's more about, you know, semis have punched above their weight in terms of what the market has done. 
NVIDIA has punched above its weight in terms of uh, what semis have done. So that's the that's the immediate challenge. It's all very orderly. Even the pullback in the S&P we got over the prior week or so from the 14 month high was like not even three percent on an intraday basis. Probably, you know, has a little more to go sideways or chop lower. If you look at the way the markets kind of accrued its gains this year, it's four week sprint higher than pullback sideways. We've had the four week sprint. I don't think a week and down 2% is, is enough necessarily to reload. Um, guys, when it comes to the uh, so-called chip war, if you want to call it that, between the U.S. Uh, and, and China, of course, it does involve, it does sort of get M&A wrapped into it. These are two not large deals, but one that people are keeping an eye on in part because they end up being part of the, uh, of the back and forth between the two countries. Remember, Intel uh, back in February said they were going to acquire a company called Tower Semiconductor. $5.4 billion deal, uh, all cash, 53 bucks a share in cash. You can see where that's trading. Um, it's not doing well, is it? Well, why? Gee, are the Chinese antitrust regulators really going to give the go-ahead to Intel to acquire this company? And it requires Chinese antitrust approval. The other one is Simo. There have been some reports saying the Chinese regulators are looking to approve that. Uh, by the way, so that's 53 on the one deal. And the other one is Silicon Motion. That's being acquired by Max Linear. That was a deal announced back on May 5th, 2022. 114.34. So just, you know, it involved these, this battle involves a lot more than just NVIDIA and their H800 or whatever the exactly, chip that yeah. they have fabricated to be okay for to the try Chinese and get market. In there, yeah. 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 And, and meanwhile, it's happening when, uh, you know, the, the entire kind of build out of domestic semi capacity is going full speed. And you have the president wants to take credit for bringing the business back. And uh, and, uh, and so everyone seems to be kind of going to their corners. Yep. You know, well, you and, saw you saw Scott Cohn's report, you know, on New York and Micron and the big uh, investment being made by that company in right. the state of New York to spend who knows how much over time. Yep. Uh, and by the way, in Arizona and Ohio in particular, enormous funds being spent, Mike, uh, yeah. and part partially funded by the CHIPS Act, of course. Um, one of the many different pieces of legislation that have been passed by the Biden administration that I guess we can expect tonight or later today, yep. the, the president will be discussing um, far beyond the American Rescue Act, but the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, the infrastructure bill, and of course, the CHIPS Act. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch the president likely take some victory laps while Powell tries not to take victory laps and maintain some discipline at That's least right. on, on the rate environment. But yeah, uh, as for the, if you look at the G7, the U.S. has the highest post-pandemic GDP growth. We have the lowest inflation core and headline. And as for uh, the factory construction that David mentions, uh, construction spending by manufacturers has gone 2x yeah. in the last year. It's and exactly it's, the, the reaction thing. function has been right out of legislation. Right. And it, it, it accounts for a tremendous amount of the gap between the expectations of overall economic slowdown and what we're getting. You know, that's been something you would have expected to have, you know, had an impact from 500 basis points of Fed rate hikes is commercial construction. And it's just gotten overwhelmed by that, you know, new capital mandated going in that direction. Yeah. There are those who question whether we needed the American Rescue Plan, the yeah, first piece of sure. legislation that was passed at, what, $1.8 trillion when the economy already seemed to be recovering from the worst of the pandemic. Um, but he's going to be, it would seem, Carl, taking, uh, as you say, taking a lot of credit for those other three pieces of legislation as well. The CHIPS Act, I mean, back to that, it's, it, you know, it is a government intervention in an important market that the likes of which we haven't seen that often, or at least in some time, but certainly one that we see from 
countries we compete with all the time. Right. Yeah. I love this note. Speaking of NVIDIA, Deutsche today, I'll be totally honest. I have absolutely no idea how to value NVIDIA, given it's already the world's sixth largest company. It does matter to macro. Uh, while I think AI will be transformative, the valuation uh, does look stretched. And I yeah. think we're, we're going to cycle back here to about a trillion dollar market cap this morning. Yeah, it's just about trillion. Um, yeah, he's, he was talking about, uh, I think, the trailing uh, price to sales, uh, which is like above 40. And now, of course, they raised their, their revenue guidance. And so it's like it's in the 20s, which for a trillion dollar company, that's a price to sales ratio in a market where the overall price to earnings ratio is about 19. So yeah. uh, clearly it's just kind of, you know, although, as the built. bulls will say, they can't ever remember a company raising right. its guidance by four billion dollars. But at in this a point, quarter. but at this point, the stock is saying that's going to continue on that right. trajectory. It's not just, oh, this one step function. We got this huge windfall of of orders and people wanting to. You know, we, we, we can't sell enough of our stuff because everyone wants to show scale in AI. Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, that's that's where we are with the trillion. I mean, you know, Tesla's at 800 billion and at a fraction of that price. to sell. I think the, one of the questions, though, becomes what does, you know, NVIDIA's the endless demand for their product. What does it displace from the data center? Yeah. You know, what do you not buy if you're Microsoft and or uh, if you're Azure or you're uh, Alphabet or, of course, you're Amazon and AWS or Oracle, what don't yeah. you buy? Because you are stacking up on these sure. H100s or H... Is they up to, are they up to the H200 yet? I, I need Jim here to tell me. <laughs> yeah, the that's yeah. not my, yeah. Yeah. Not my Mike, game. come on. You're yeah. not on top of this? Actually, no. Kramer, from wherever he is, yeah. has tweeted about <laughs> yeah. his worries about these... About this could yeah, be these could, markets could for yeah. chips, yeah. Yeah, and you where, know, where I mean, is he? I don't even have a dog. So where where in the world? You don't even have a dog. Oh, right, you have cats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we should mention, by the way, uh, Nasdaq, and as we wind down uh, the first half of the year, uh, on pace for the what is it, the third best first half yeah. on record, and that's coming off of obviously last year's first half, which was abysmal. Exactly. Uh, well, the Nasdaq and the Nasdaq 100 had uh, like peak to trough last year, down 36 uh, percent in. I, you know, 10 or 11 months. So clearly, uh, you know, that's extreme on the downside. A lot of what we've gotten is a recoil. Just look at an aggregate point level. We've regained in the NASDAQ 100 about three quarters, not quite three quarters of what was lost last year. Um, so a lot of that has just been recovery, you know, things like Meta slotting into this really good fundamental story that all the, uh, the portfolio managers are now completely hitched to. And some of it is the NVIDIAs and even the Apples of the world, where it's just piling on market cap because we love it. We, we, we appreciate the story. We think it's predictable. It's going to continue. Great balance sheet. Uh, and it feels good to participate. And by the way, if you're a mutual fund manager, you're not even allowed to own a full complement of Apple uh, to reflect the index weight because the rules prohibit it. So there's almost this constant, like every pullback you need to, you know, to add back. Yeah, to uh, City Today, uh, Scott Cronard, yep. all the second half playbooks are coming yeah, out, sure. but Scott Cronard says they're keeping their 4K year-end target, but we don't want to be painted as overly bearish. Yeah. We're looking to buy pullbacks. And there's also a lot of discussion about holding the August ties of, uh, what, yeah. 43.25 or so? Yeah, 43.25 uh, was the intraday August high of last year. So that was the level at which uh, Jay Powell was not happy with and said we have to, you know, inflict some pain on the economy and the market doesn't reflect that. So, yeah, we have some room down to that, I suppose. I think it's more like a little over 4,200 that would keep the uptrend intact. That's the 50-day average. That's where we kind of broke out of that prior uh, kind of sticky range. But, yeah, I think, that you know, Kroner, one of the, the takeaways is he thinks that, and has been saying this for a while, earnings are going to be more resilient 
than you would expect even in an economic slowdown. That the S&P 500 is just a lot less cyclically, cyclically geared in terms of profitability than it used to be. We'll see if that plays out. But I think that's what he's saying is, look, at some point, and maybe already it's happening, the street's going to be looking at 2024 numbers. Seems like there could be either they could either come through or have some upside to them. And so don't get too cute about waiting for the, the market to trade down into the 300s if we have disappointing earnings in the second, 3,000s in the second half of um, this year. Our friend Dan Ives, of course, of Wedbush, weighing in on the single largest market cap uh, uh, contrib- contributor to the yeah. S&P, that being Apple, saying he does see it getting to $3 trillion. We'll be We'll be on $3 trillion market cap watch again. It did hit. I forgot it hit it once prior, I guess. At least he says it did. Um, I don't remember that. No, I don't we think made so. A, we wouldn't we have made a deal of that? I, I think we would have. He said in January 2022, um, first hit the $3 trillion mark. I don't remember that, Mike. But I don't know. I, I suppose um, I suppose because the share count would have been higher yes. and the stock was at like 181 maybe. So but I don't remember how the math Dan's worked. point is that uh, they're playing chess while others play checkers. And he does point to the, uh, in particular, the service revenue, uh, which he says is on a jaw-dropping trajectory to reach $100 billion uh, by fiscal year 24. Uh, and, of course, we have talked for quite some time about the multiple the, the market is willing to uh, accord yeah. that because it is recurring revenues as opposed to being out in the market with a device that you never know, although we can imagine it's got pretty good uptake. But. Yeah, it has played out, I have to say. That's when the multiple expansion really did kick in once services yeah. got to a certain threshold. Yeah, remember when we were awash in neutral ratings on Apple? Yes. and. People weren't so sure it was all about the phone cycles. Exactly. Now, they've neutralized that to some degree anyway at this point. Uh, Speaking of giants, when we come back, uh, the FTC versus the Microsoft Activision deal. The CEOs of both companies are expected to testify in court today. Take a look at the pre-market here. We'll obviously be looking for signs of volatility as this ECB panel meets in Portugal. And we'll watch the president's address later on today. Get to uh, General Mills and Google and Tesla and a bunch of labor news today when Squawk on the Street comes back. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Day four of the FTC versus Microsoft Activision. You can see Activision stock price continues to move higher, closer to that $95 a share all-cash deal, which Microsoft is uh, very much trying to get through and past the finish line. Uh, The current challenge, of course, is having a judge say, no, FTC, you don't get an injunction against this deal. Uh, And uh, in court today will be two of the bigger names, Uh, Microsoft CEO uh, Satya Nadella, um, Activision CEO Bobby Kotick. Things are expected to go well for the government, for the uh, for Microsoft today, not for the government. Um, It's hard to imagine they won't in terms of these witnesses. 
Um, there will also be Microsoft's econo- uh, witness in terms of talking about sort of the economics of the, uh, of the deal as well. Uh, and from those who've been in the court the last couple of days, and again, they've only got today and tomorrow, um, you know, their expectation is today is going to go fairly well for Microsoft. We shall see, of course. Yesterday, uh, you did have the government's key witness, and, uh, or one of them anyway, in terms of uh, an economist who'd done a lot of uh, study of the potential deal, um, but was questioned firmly uh, and uh, by, uh, by Microsoft, not to mention the judge sort of uh, occasionally weighing in as well. Um, and he hedged a lot. Uh, didn't give a lot of perhaps credibility to the court because of that hedging that took place. Again, that in the opinion of a number of people I've spoken to who were in the courtroom. Remember, they did not actually, it was, uh, the expert testimony was really on redirect. They didn't present the, uh, the actual findings in the court uh, of, uh, of the analysis of the transaction by the government's witness. Um, FTC is running out of time here to present its case, really is what this amounts to. And there are, again, uh, what I continue to hear is there's a belief that they haven't done so. We will see. We'll see what the judge thinks. But uh, they're running out of time. And today is not going to be the day. And then you get uh, final arguments tomorrow. So, wow. Um, the judge has asked for findings of fact and law by June 30th, leading some to believe that she could rule as soon as next week. Uh, that would be news. That would be unexpected in some way. But five-day trial was also unexpected. Um, And again, we'll have to wait and see where this goes. If, in fact, Microsoft does prevail and the government uh, is unable to get a preliminary injunction or an injunction to stop the transaction, uh, then it's on to the CMA. And that appeals process, which continues in the UK, which a lot of people don't have a great deal of visibility on in terms of what really has got to happen. Um, Best I can sort of surmise at this point is there is a hope, guys, that there's a remittal by the so-called CAT, this is the tribunal essentially that's listening to Microsoft's appeal, back to the CMA that says, you know, your market definition, for example, was really not correct. And that will provide an opening for Microsoft to somehow renegotiate a transaction that is acceptable to the CMA. But not a great deal of visibility there. I'm discounting for now all of these, this talk that they would somehow close the deal around the CMA's objections. It just does not seem likely. but first and foremost is the FTC. And as we said, Mike, this is going to have as much, if not more, of an impact on the FTC if they were to lose than on Microsoft if they were to win. I was going to say Microsoft's, in a sense, fighting a bigger war, yes. you know, in terms of what, what policy is going to look like and the prospects uh, against the FTC for, for other companies trying yeah. to do deals. Exactly. Yeah. And so if it was a significant loss for the FTC, you know, would it? Would it give them pause in terms of bringing future litigation? We don't know. And again, we can't certainly not, not going to pass judgment, but Judge Corley will. And, uh, and perhaps we may know as soon as uh, a week or so from today. Yeah. I will watch that. Uh, coming up, a lot of news on the banks ahead of the stress tests due out after the close of trading today. Uh, meantime, take a look at the pre-market here as we get a very busy Wednesday underway. Squawk on the streets back in a moment. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. We mentioned a bunch of news regarding financials today at the stress test later on tonight. A punch bowl with a piece about Elizabeth Warren uh, putting together some consortiums to take on uh, banks in various ways. And then, of course, regionals yeah. like getting some attention. And Goldman Sachs has a, sort of a big scene setter for the regionals as looking ahead to their results as well as where net interest is going to be going uh, for the rest of this year. Pretty I would say mixed but downbeat, essentially saying that this is not about, as we've been talking, uh, not about aggressive deposit flight, but all of the regional banks continue to see, you know, greater repricing of their own deposit rates than they anticipated. So they're essentially projecting as the year goes on uh, a greater squeeze on net interest. I think that it's in the context of a market that's already been more or less braced for it. Uh, Look at the KRE uh, regional bank ETF has been, you know, it's 18% off the lows. It's been holding above these levels or above 40 that a lot of people have been using as a little bit of a toggle between, yes, we're in a stress condition or we're okay. Uh, So it seems to me that the market's no longer worried that this is going to be some kind of a, a quick, unexpected contraction of credit. It's more about what do you want to pay for these banks? Um, Also, Wells Fargo weighing in on J.P. Morgan today. Essentially, Mike Mayo saying um, it deserves the premium, but that premium is getting really fat. I was just looking at it. You know, J.P. Morgan's uh, traded one and a half times book value. uh, Bank of America on trailing book value. Bank of America is under 90 percent of book. That's a spread that is about as wide as it's gotten in a while. So they're basically saying this is an environment where balance sheet liquidity is worth that much more. So, yeah. You guys uh, know as well. Uh, always sort of gives a little sense as to what we can expect from the some of the bigger firms. Um, not a great uh, quarter as you'd expect. We believe our second quarter results reflect a cyclically low period in a particularly challenging environment. Um, uh, they uh, are quoted as saying at that. Um, they go on to say though challenges uh, included. Uh, fallout from the regional banking crisis, Mike, and in the government supported forced merger of Credit Suisse and UBS. But they uh, point out, and I've said this word, these words, the month of June has brought green shoots uh, in our investment banking and capital markets business. And we are growing increasingly optimistic about the return to a more normal environment. Obviously, we've talked a lot about that Kava IPO, but it's far beyond that. I'm hearing green yeah. shoots when it comes to M&A as well. Um, and so we'll see how that plays out. But yeah. Jeffrey's always the first. And they were pointing to all of those uh, kind of stress events as essentially just putting a, a total chill on new issues and M&A, especially more midsize, you know, below yes. the, huge, the, the very large uh, deals that, that other banks do. Um, I mean, stock trades at like tangible book value. Yeah. So, and I know they have this investment from uh, Sumitomo Mitsui. It's going to go up. So they have like ballast on the capital side, but right. it's still a tough road to get it any is. returns on equity. With, this. Uh, with that, let's get ready for the opening bell here. Get the CNBC real-time exchange of the big board today. It is a steel manufacturing company, Turnium, and at the NASDAQ, the GO Project, helping New York City public school students. Uh, you mentioned some uh, small and medium-sized businesses, Mike. Goldman out today looking at the Russell. 
uh, saying it should rise uh, 14% in the next 12 months. A little yes. more risk. Uh, but they do see some action happening here. Speaking of green shoots. Yes, and that it would really just be a continued kind of reversion to the mean type trade because that's how uh, much underperformance there was in the small caps. Now, what has to happen for that to play out is, is probably, you know, continued, you know, easy financial conditions or at least no great tightening of financial conditions and a general sense out there that nominal GDP growth is going to hold together. Uh, so all those things are come back from, uh, from the for the average stock against the big ones. It's been in, it's been underway for a few weeks right now. So uh, we'll see if it does play. It kind of fits with Goldman's house view, and yeah. that is recession risk is low. Uh, they went exactly. back to 25% odds in the next 12 months. They yesterday upped their GDP for Q2 up four tenths to 2.2. Yeah. Uh, so they've been pretty constructive on what the back half of the year. They have. Been. And, you know, the numbers have been coming to them to a degree in the first half of this year. To me, the big question for the markets in general is to what degree is, hey, this economy is going to hold up, soft landing, if any, is now the premise. So if we already kind of had a lot, enough of the, of the investor crowd migrate to that position, whereas at the beginning of this year in January, that was a kind of lonely maverick position to say that we're going to avert a recession indefinitely. Nobody says you're going to avert it forever. Nobody says all parts of the economy escape it. But at this point, you're staying clear of that you know, broad downturn that many have thought. And as time ticks on, and housing looks like it curls higher, manufacturing doesn't get worse, you know, other things have to give way for the overall economy to fail. Yeah. Uh, by the way, also, oil where it is, you know, there was, it was pretty fashionable on the way up with oil to say every U.S. recession has been preceded by a doubling in oil prices. Now, has the doubling in oil prices that we got after the Ukraine war expired as a signal or as an influence for, for a recession? So who knows? This cycle has, I think, broken a lot of the the rules and made some of the patterns of the past, you know, seem a little bit that they don't apply. So we'll see how yeah, that goes. I mean, the, the surprise out of Ukraine was that we had a, a forced seller, in a sense, yeah. of oil. And that's that right. was Russia. That, which, that's been the which new, a lot of the, the supply effects, disruption yeah. watchers were not counting on. You mentioned housing, by the way. Uh, the housing surprise index now better than the summer of 2020 yeah. when people were moving like mad. Um, and RH, David, I don't know if you've noticed, yeah. back above 300. Uh, curling higher, to use Mike's words, maybe that's a sense of what how the consumers faring or feeling right now. And and Lowe's and, and Home Depot have kind of this month gone up like 10 percent each to sort of chase the home builder. So it started out with, you know, the pure home builders, people feeling like they it was just this unique situation where supply was so constrained that they had a window. Um, now those guys getting a little bit overheated. So the secondary plays are starting to participate RH uh, among them. Uh, I did see some, uh, I think it was Renaissance uh, Macro talking about inflows into housing or hold the home builder ETFs is looking a little bit hot right now. So maybe the market has already, you know, kind of gotten to that place where things are better and, uh, and, and there's not much immediate upside, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> RH? I, I, I got, I mean, you know, the, it, what's interesting is how often I feel lately we've been hearing more bullish consumer statistics. I, I don't know if it's just yeah. the conversation lately, but sort of pushing back on this idea that the consumer is somehow exhausted. Right. Talking about how much, you know, equity they may have built up. Talking about, uh, obviously, we know where things are in jobs, but as well, consumer deposits or even when it comes to just their their continued ability to actually spend. Um, yeah. I mean, Yardeni yesterday, and we mentioned Yardeni quite a bit because sure. he's been bullish and the market's been coming to him. But yesterday, he called it milk and honey data. 
whether it was uh, housing yeah. or confidence. He says we're moving to a period where it's not about a rolling recession. It's about a rolling expansion. Sure. And, you know, again, that could be one of these uh, kind of false dawns. You don't know. I mean, you, you know, people have been talking about how durable goods, they were really good yesterday. You've had really good durable goods prints the moment before a recession started in the past. So things do chop around on the way. And I think there's also a lot of focus, David, on the net worth in aggregate of consumers. So it's not mm-hmm. evenly, right. to say the least, distributed. Ed Bastian at Delta yesterday highlighting that the customer base of a commercial airline or its, com- its customer base is $100,000 income households and above. And they're doing fine. And they're still there. They want to travel. So in aggregate, and, and by the way, somebody owns all these bonds that are kicking off 5 and 7%. I mean, it's an underappreciated thing that they don't necessarily roll them all into new bonds. It's spent. It goes to bolster future borrowing. You know, so there's money flowing through the system for now that uh, that is supporting some stuff. I think the big question now is going to we're going to hear from the central bankers is, are they okay with that? Are they okay with an economy that's going to run hot enough to keep growth where it is? if inflation grows sticky at some level. Yeah, although we got decent overnight prints in Italy. Uh, CPI was at eight, yes. now six, seven. Uh, Australia, which did pause. Uh, CPI there now a 13 month low. Yeah. So those, I mean, if you did pause. Uh, you, well, they paused and then they And then they went again. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But yeah. this, was, this, this feeds their initial instinct at least. Granted, nothing right now is saying that the disinflationary tide is, is, is shifting. But uh, yeah, I do think if you wanna kind of look around the corner, that might be the, the conversation we're having if the, uh, if the economic numbers here continue to surprise the upside. And um, it's been a very long streak of upside surprise. The city surprise index is, is riding above zero for a long stretch this year. Guys, sort of taking a look at the broader market and groups within it, I mean, pharma is, uh, is not overly weak, but down. But I would note shares of Eli Lilly just continue to power higher of late. Uh, they're not up. They're only up uh, two bucks right now, half a percent. But um, we've talked about these, this revolution in weight loss drugs, obviously Nova Nordisk's, uh, but ob- also Majorno, which has only been approved for diabetes right now from Lilly, but may soon be approved as well for weight loss. Um, and then what may be following it, even more powerful drugs perhaps to be delivered in oral form as opposed to uh, through injection and what that will mean. Um, this is powered Lilly stock, of course, as you can see, to, uh, to uh, all-time highs, to a $442 billion market cap. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know that we've perhaps talked enough about the long-term ramifications of these drugs. If they are widely taken, they are expensive, of course, at this point. Questions about whether they will be paid for always uh, uh, by health insurers. But long-term savings to the health, to, uh, to, to, uh, to the overall system. Yeah, for other medical costs, yeah. Could be enormous given, uh, given what obesity does in terms of bringing on so many other diseases. Yeah, Lilly's outperformance, I mean, over the year to date, I mean, the overall pharma sector is basically flat year to date in an up market, uh, up like 4% on the one-year basis. Lilly's up, you know, 40-some percent. So it has been clearly this sort of, we're isolating the winners in these categories. Overall, it's not really a uh, big business. So yeah, the, uh, the, the longer-term medical, I do wonder, you know, there was a disappointment from Pfizer yes, halting the trial was. of the one oral treatment. Um, what the estimates are for total market prospects for the injectable version. In other words, people clearly believe it's capped at some level of uptake 
and an oral would expand yeah, the market. I mean, you're vastly. talking about also a thousand bucks a month yeah, right. right now. And then there are people who just don't want to inject themselves. Yeah, uh, but there will be an oral. There doesn't seem any doubt about that. How long that takes, of course, is a question. And then what follows? Again, Lilly is working on a compound that may be even more powerful in terms of the weight loss it induces than Moderna. Yeah. Um, it's amazing to watch what has happened to that stock, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, our Sarah Eisen, by the way, we mentioned, is uh, speaking with the world's top central bankers in Portugal right now. And that includes the Fed chair and the ECB's Christine Lagarde. Let's listen in. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's very nice having you in, uh, in this closing moment. <laughs> and uh, I'll take this opportunity to thank all the contributors, those who have uh, prepared papers, those who have worked with the presenters and all the panel members. It's been really, really a rich conference and I want to, to thank you. So, as far as the European Central Bank is concerned and the Euro system at large, we have covered uh, a lot of ground. We have increased uh, our interest rates by no less than 400 basis points in a very short order, less than a year, and, uh, and we still have ground to cover. And uh, I think that, as I said earlier on, we are data dependent. Uh, we will decide on a meeting by meeting basis, but we know uh, that we have ground to cover. And if our baseline uh, stands, then we also know that uh, we will very likely hike again in, uh, in July. What about September? That I will not tell you, and for a very simple reason that I just mentioned, we are data dependent. We'll decide meeting by meeting, and you know, we'll tell you, for the September meeting, we will have received a lot more data, information, survey results, and it's going to be another projection uh, meeting prepared by the, uh, the staff of the ECB. So we will have a lot, a lot in our hands to, uh, to make our decision then. Governor Bailey, you surprised the market recently, raising interest rates by 50. You did a double. Why did you feel the need to do that? Well, it really picks up on the theme that Christine has just, uh, just developed. First of all, I mean, the UK economy has turned out uh, to be much more resilient, and that's a good thing. I mean, there's many good aspects to that. But what goes with that resilience is signs of uh, a very tight labour market, which is, which is showing through in, in pay, uh, pay awards, uh, but also showing through, I mean, we've got a, you know, an unemployment rate of 3.8%, which is historically right at the low end. So that resilience is coming through that way. But when we looked at the, again, to Christine's point, when we looked at the data, because we too are being driven by evidence at the moment, the cumulative data, both particularly on the labor market and on the, inf the inflation release we had, which to us showed clear signs of persistence, uh, caused us to conclude that we had to make really quite a strong move at that point. It, it, it was justified. My own, my own view on that was, if we were really of the view that we were going to do 25, and then we were really sort of baked in for another 25 based on the evidence we'd seen. It was better to do the 50. Uh, and then we will, as Christine said, we will be evidence-driven. So we will wait for the next set of evidence for our next meeting, which, to Christine's point again, will also be one where we will have a full forecast. Have you received a lot of flack for the move? Well, I think at the moment uh, I can understand why uh, there are critics of, uh, of us and central banks. Uh, we have a job to do. It's, I'm very clear that our job, all of us are very clear, I think our job is to return inflation to target and we will do what is necessary. I understand the concerns that go with that, but I'm afraid I always have to say that it is a worse outcome if we don't get inflation back to target. 
something I know you, you, you've all been saying. Chair Powell, you've said it many times, and, and yet you paused, but you're not calling it a pause, and you're not calling it a skip. <laughs> so what are we calling it? Well, first of all, Sarah, thank you, <laughs> and uh, Christine, thanks for hosting us here in, uh, in Sintra. So um, what we're calling it is maintaining the uh, level of the federal funds rate at its current level uh, for, the, <laughs> for this meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we did that, if you, if you think about it, we've, we've raised uh, the federal funds rate by 500 basis points since a little more than a year ago. And we think, uh, so we've come a long way. We also think that there's more uh, tightening power coming through. Really, policy hasn't been restrictive for very long. We started at, at you know, negative real interest rates, and we've now moved up to where we actually are in restrictive territory, but we haven't been there very long. So we believe there's more restriction coming. And what's really driving it, uh, you know, to uh, Andrew's point and Christine's as well, is very strong labor market. We've got a labor market that, you know, where jobs are being created, there's strong wage gains, and that's driving spending, driving real incomes and driving spending, which is driving more demand and continuing to drive labor market. So the, the, the labor market is really, is really pulling the economy. And um, my colleagues and I, as you, as you will know, uh, wrote down in our SEP two more additional rate hikes. The median uh, uh, was quite a strong majority, actually wanted two or more rate hikes. <clears throat> and the reason for that was, if you look at the, the data over the last quarter, what you see is stronger than expected growth, uh, a tighter than expected labor market, and higher than expected inflation. So that tells us that although policy is restrictive, it's not, it may not be restrictive enough, and it, and it has not been restrictive for long enough. So I don't get why you didn't raise rates at the last meeting, especially I think it was a surprise that it was a unanimous decision to hold rates steady when you said a majority think that they still need to go farther on raising rates. It, it's really just um, as you get closer and closer to the goal. What, what we're aiming for is a, a stance of policy that's sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down to 2% over time. As you get closer to that, you, you get closer to the place where the risks become more in balance. So, you know, we did four 75 basis point hikes in a row starting in June of last year. In December, we moved down to 50. Then we did three consecutive 25 basis point hikes. So this is really just a continuation. We're, we're going to move the, move the decisions a little bit, make them a little bit with a little bit more time in between them in an effort to get more information from the data to see how much restraint is really coming from these, you know, th through the pipeline from rate hikes that we only made now, in many cases, six, eight, nine months ago. So that's why we did it. So maybe in every other meeting hike. We've not decided that. So you know, we, we only th the only thing we decided was not to raise rates at the June meeting. We have not made a decision to go to that. It may work out that way. It may not work out that way. But I wouldn't take you know, moving at consecutive meetings off the table at all. I'm trying. Um, Governor Weta. <laughs> I mean, it, first of all, it's great to talk to you. We haven't heard much from you outside of your policy meetings in Japan. I think the world wants to know why you're the global outlier here. You have decided to maintain your easier monetary policy in the face of rising inflation. Why? So a uh, uh, simple answer would be, although the headlining rate of inflation is above 3%, which is well above the 2% inflation target, uh, we think underlying inf inflation is still a bit lower than 2%. That's, be that's why we are keeping policy unchanged at the moment. Even though we've seen measures, including, including core, right, higher than the 2% yeah, level. Yeah, the core is, is also above 2%. But let's say uh, 
Let's look at uh, the rate of increase in wages, which is uh, an important determinant of underlying inflation. It has risen, but is now running at around 2%. Now, if you want a 2% inflation rate, wage inflation that's consistent with that would be slightly or well above 2% if you assume productivity growth rate is positive. So there's still some distance to go, we think. And as a result of, of your policy being different than all these policies of your, of your colleagues, the yen has gotten very weak and continues to weaken by the minute. Is it too weak? Well, the yen is infl being influenced by many factors other than our monetary policy, including the policies of these three banks. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we, we monitor the situation very carefully. Monitoring the situation? Yes. For intervention purposes? No, no. I, <laughs> it's the jurisdiction of the Ministry of Finance. Decisions on intervention. President Lagarde, President Lagarde how, how, how much would you like to see inflation moderate from these levels? Because we've already seen a nice moderation. For you to feel comfortable taking a pause or potentially going the other way? Well, this is not what we're considering at the moment, okay? But if I look back at uh, what we've covered, inflation was, I think the highest reading we had was 10.3. Uh, we are now at 6.1, headline. Uh, core has moved a bit down, but we are really looking at both headlines, which is the measurement that uh, we have agreed in our strategy and that is visible for people, for the consumers of Europe, but we're also looking at underlying inflation. And on that front, you know, we, we are not seeing enough tangible evidence of the fact that underlying inflation, particularly the domestic prices, are stabilizing and moving down. So we're looking at as many measurements as we can because we want to be in sufficiently restrictive territory for long enough so that we are confident that we reach our 2% medium-term target. Why is it so sticky, Governor Bailey? And why is your inflation rate higher than that of Europe's? Well, let me distinguish uh, headline and core for a moment. So with headline inflation, I do expect it to come down markedly this year. As we've The world's central bankers in Portugal uh, talking to our Sarah Eisen. Uh, what a textbook case right now of the asynchronicity uh, in rate cycles around the world. As for uh, the U.S. interest, Powell, with a great joke about how it's neither a pause uh, nor a skip, but making the broader point, not taking anything off the table, including hikes at consecutive meetings, and this idea that rates may not be restrictive enough or restrictive for long enough, and yes. they're expecting more, uh, particularly out of the labor market. I think his message was meant to say, we're going to let time do the work for a while, so time at this level of rates or near this level of rates is restrictive enough, and that more than you know, moving every, uh, every meeting to tighten further uh, should do the job. Uh, and the ECB, of course, data dependent. Uh, that's the message there. Uh, interesting. We'll see. I mean, I'm sure Sarah will eventually get to how policy decisions have affected various uh, decision cycles, particularly in the UK, where Brexit right. continues to get a lot of discussion of how it altered the labor market, for one thing. Without a doubt. Uh, and, you know, uh, he just was put on the spot there, Bailey, about uh, why inflation is just exactly so high uh, in the UK. And it's, it's inflaming a lot of, uh, a lot of the political uh, friction. Yeah. Sure. We did lose a little ground on, on Powell's comments yeah. about... 
maybe consecutive moves. Uh, Dow session lows here down 128, still holding a 43.65 or so on the S&P. We'll watch that closely. Have a lot more from the ECB forum later on this morning. As we go to break, uh, let's watch bonds. As we said, uh, Treasuries uh, reacting to some inventory data today, but mostly uh, the commentary. We'll be right back. Markets holding some losses here, uh, getting some negative news, obviously, on the chip front with these uh, reports about new curbs on NVIDIA chips. But obviously, the talk of the day is regarding central banks. And this panel at the ECB in Portugal will continue to monitor, uh, moderated by our Sarah Eisen. Mike, thanks to you. I'll right. talk soon. Uh, we're back in a minute. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.